Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus, chapter 36. We're going to finish this book this morning and looking at it, how it's relevant for us today. You know, whenever I look at the Bible, I realize that God didn't just put these words in a book to make the book big, but actually they mean something so important. As you remember, as we've been studying through the book of Exodus, we remember the children of Israel went down, sojourned in Egypt for about 400 and some years. They cried out to God as the Egyptians made them slaves. God sent Moses to them the first time. They rejected him. And so then the Bible says he lived on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, fearing for his life when he killed an Egyptian guard. And then God spoke to him out of a burning bush, and he said to him, go set my people free. Moses said to to God, who shall I say sent me? When the children of Israel asked, who's sending you to deliver us from Egypt? God said out of the burning bush, tell them the I am sent you. Not I was, not I will be, but the I am. Present tense, all inclusive. It's interesting that as we study in the book of John, chapter 8, when they were asking about Jesus, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. And the Pharisees said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was... I am. The same exact words concerning what God spoke to Moses, Jesus said that he was. At that point, John 8, 59, it says they picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. Now, why is that important? We realize the children of Israel then were delivered by Moses out of Egypt. They were under Egyptian law. But now, as they come out of Egypt, they're going to come under new laws. You as well, before you were born again, you lived under the law of the world. And the law of the world says, if I want it, I take it. Whatever feels good, do it. That's the old sin nature. And it's interesting in the Bible that it compares our old sin nature to the life in Egypt. And we need a deliverer to take us from that slavery through the Red Sea, a type of baptism, into and on our way to the promised land. Now, according to God's word, God then gave them the new way to live. Not the old way, not the serving the gods of Egypt, but God gave then to them a new way to live. That same thing that God gives to us. And so we remember that Moses goes up on the mount, receives the Ten Commandments, in which everything that Moses received, the children of Israel, 40 days prior, heard God audibly from the Mount of Mount Sinai, at the base of Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Now the Bible tells us that they were the schoolmaster in the book of Galatians that brought us to Christ. In other words, no one can live under the Ten Commandments, friends. 
We might do good for a while. But then Jesus said, if you thought it in your heart, you've done it. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you stop to think about all the things that really a holy, righteous God wants from us, we realize we're blowing it. We try, but we still fail. That's why the book of Galatians says that we don't live under the law. The law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws are the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. It shows you and me how desperately we need a Savior. Now that offense to God, I believe, is etched into our soul from the very beginning. I believe that that that, that uh, separation between man and God, we know about. And I believe this is why within all people, there's a quest in some way to find the meaning of life, to find God. In other words, that purpose you live for. And so the Bible tells us that God in his love sent Jesus to fulfill the righteous requirements of... There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments, friend, if you look at it. I mean, theologically, theoretically, I could agree with everything it says. Don't steal. I think that's good. I don't want somebody to steal from me. Don't covet. I don't want somebody to take what I have or want what I have. I don't don't want to lie. I don't want anybody to lie to me. Theoretically, there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. But what's The problem is, the Bible says, it's not within us to live righteously. Why is that? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they sold our flesh into slavery. It's not within us to be good. Haven't you ever looked at your kids and said, can't you just be good? I say that a lot. Can't you just be good? And they'll look at you and they'll say yes. And then less than three minutes later, they're pulling each other's hair. What's wrong with you? Why do you do this? And and they look at you so innocently like they would never do anything wrong. And this is the way we look at God. And then just like the Ten Commandments was given at Mount Sinai, 40 days later, Moses comes down out of the mountain and they're dancing around naked around a golden calf having orgies. Oh, man! And you think, what's wrong with people? Moses gets mad. He throws the tablets down. He breaks them, which they had already broken them already. So I guess he just gave them what they wanted. Then he goes back up and God gives him another copy and he comes down out of the mountain and there they began to understand, I believe they're going to live under a new set of laws. Friends, when we come to Christ, we live under the law of love. There's a big difference. Rather than being the have to's, it's the I want to's. As we come to Exodus 36, we find here that God is giving to Moses the outline of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the curtains, all that that goes in the temple. Somebody might say, well, how is that relevant to us today in every way? Because the Bible says God does not dwell 
in buildings made with men's hands. In our town here, we have the LDS temple, we have the Islamic temple, we have a lot of temples running around here. But the Bible says God won't dwell in those. Now, I know they believe that, but if you read your Bible, you would know that God dwells in you. Now, in the Old Testament, something interesting, the, God, the Bible always says that God will dwell with them. He will walk with them. But something interesting that we find as we study Scripture In the New Testament, being the supreme sacrifice was made. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, which completely removes the sin, not covering it like the animals, the blood of animals and and goats and birds and stuff like that in the Old Testament, according to Levitical law, what was prescribed for the particular sin. But now God has cleansed us. The Bible tells us, He dwells in you and me. It doesn't say that ever in the Old Testament. He said he would dwell with them, but in the New Testament, it says he'll dwell in them. Do you know there's a big difference of being with and being in? God says, I will dwell in you. Why was that not an issue in the Old Testament? There's one vague thing, and I think it's like Ezekiel 37 But it's futuristic about living in them, but I will make them. They weren't at that time, the people of Israel. But God says he's going to dwell in you. Now, what does that mean? That means everywhere you go, God goes. I like that. In other words, you bring a part of heaven, at least we should, everywhere we go. You see, there are religions around. Your Middle Eastern religions, Hinduism, uh, um, Mormonism, all these different isms that are out there say that you can become God. That was the lie that the serpent told Eve in the garden. Eat of the tree, you'll become as God. That is a quest. The lie has been haunting man ever since. You see, I'll never be God. You'll never be God. But God will live in you. And friends, that's why this is important that we read. Because when we look at Ezekiel 37, where God says, I will dwell with them, God says in the New Testament, I will dwell in them. God wants to dwell inside of you. Now, when I look at this, and I look at the prescription that God gave to Moses on how he wanted the Ark of the Covenant made, how he wanted the, 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 the veil made, the curtains, all the implements of worship inside the tabernacle of meeting. That's where God says, that's where I'll meet you. God lives in you. He will not dwell in buildings. He lives in you. In other words, when we all walk out of here, God goes with us. Now, I, I think it's nice we have a nice box to be in and stay out of the weather. And we have that here in Idaho, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> Subject to change within minutes. Um, but the thing is, we have a good box. That's all right. But that's all any building on this earth is. The reason why you find ornate 
temples around the world to various gods. And I say that plural because it's not the true and living God. It's gods of this world is they believe their God lives in those boxes. Listen, your God is much bigger than any box. God says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. I rest my feet on it. What building, David, will you build for me? You see, this is why this is important. When you realize your importance to the kingdom of God, God doesn't dwell in buildings He dwells in you. And so therefore, God's focus is not external on the building, but on the internal on you. In Exodus 36, let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, we ask you that you would speak to us. And you would cause us to understand what you endeavor to do in us, through us, for us in these days that we live in, in Jesus' name. Amen. And Abiozil and Elohim and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. I look at this verse, and this is interesting to me. Because you belong to God, God puts in you his knowledge and his wisdom. I like that. I don't know if you've ever done anything, and when you're done looking at it, you look at it and you say, how in the world did I ever have the smarts to do that? Has has anybody ever done that? I have. I look at some of the things in my life I've done, and I go... How did I ever figure that out? What's well, God? See, God gives you wisdom. Sometimes when I walk through CSN at night and I look at all the equipment and everything and think about over 500 radio stations, I look and I just shake my head and I said, God, how did you ever do that? It's beyond my understanding of things. But God puts in us his purpose, his wisdom to bring about his desired result. That's why when you become a Christian, you're not saved to set. You're saved to be part, an active part of God's hand in this world. Again, God doesn't dwell in buildings made with men's hands. Very clear in the scripture, repeatedly, many times, God will not dwell in buildings. He dwells in you. That's why the building, whether we're at a nice one like this one, or maybe we're out in the wilderness. It doesn't make any difference because God in you, the hope of glory. Now, these people come to Moses. They're equipped supernaturally. Now, now, something to remember. And when we get up to Pentecost Sunday, which is coming up here next few weeks, When we get to Pentecost Sunday, what is really interesting about the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you as an individual, as a a human being, as a Christian, you have, I believe, God-given talents. Now, I don't completely understand all of that. I don't know how some people 
can pick up a guitar or sit down at a piano and and, and if you're a mechanic and you're not musically orientated, let me just share this with you. When you're working on a car, you look at a water pump or you're looking at a carburetor and you want to take it off or an intake manifold or whatever, and you go, oh, that's a 14 millimeter bolt or that's a half inch bolt or that's 916. You know exactly when you go to the toolbox to get that wrench, that 916 wrench, to take off that nine. Now, nobody said, now get down there with a little measurement and measure that bolt and see if it's 19 millimeters or 17 or whatever it is. You just look at it and say, oh, yeah, it's 14 millimeters. You know what it is. You know what tool you need to turn the nut. Musicians, similar, or any other craft, they work the same way. They know, I want to hear the, I want to hear the note C and a B flat. And, and, and they know just where to put their fingers on this. And they get the note they want. Just like a mechanic knows which tool to get to turn the bolt. Gifts from God you were born with. That's neat. And when you surrender those to God, God then uses those gifts to further the kingdom of heaven. I look at people like Greg Glory as an example, who God, I, 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 I've known Greg over the years, uh, and, and uh, I remember one time we went out to dinner and, and I was looking through his Bible. And on the margins of his Bible, there's cartoons. He, he's an artist, and he draws little pictures. And I thought, that's really neat, because he used his ability to make people laugh for the kingdom of heaven. I look at other people who have those gifts, maybe a Jerry Seinfeld or something like that, but they're not using their gift to further the kingdom of heaven. They're furthering their own kingdom. When you have been gifted with certain things, when you use those gifts to further the kingdom of heaven, great is your reward in heaven. But then there's something else. There is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we find in Acts chapter 2, further uh, exemplified in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and 13 and 14, where God supernaturally gives you more gifts to further the kingdom of heaven. Now, I look at that. So you have your natural ability, you have your supernatural abilities, and God puts those in you like we're reading about right now. Verse 2, then Moses called Behaziel and Ahoah, and every gifted artisan in whom the heart of the Lord has put wisdom. In that, the Lord has put wisdom in these people. Put it in you, me. Everyone whose heart was stirred to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing him freewill offerings every morning. So as Moses reveals what God had told him, this tabernacle of meeting, the temple, and eventually the temple that would be built, the people began to bring things. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work that he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people 
bring much more than enough for the service of the work of the Lord that the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave the commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were, were restrained from giving literally the material that they had was sufficient to do the work to be done. Indeed, they had too much. Wow. God moved on their heart to do this. Now, the subsequent chapters, as we would look here, verse uh, uh, chapter uh, 37 uh, deals with the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, uh, the altar of incense. 38 deals with the altar of the burnt offerings, the court, uh, the lavaliers, all these different things until we get to the very last chapter. So let's go to Exodus 40 and we're going to look at verse 34. So you have the skilled craftsmen, you have the resources to do it, There was so much, Moses said, okay, enough's enough. Thank you very much. God has enough here. And so they went to work. They built it. And then in verse 34 of Exodus 40, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because of the cloud rested above it and the cloud of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory of the Lord just was overwhelming in the place. Now, I I like this because it's talking about the place of meeting where God would dwell with his people, okay? There was a cloud over them. Now, notice a little bit more here. When the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So here... God gives Moses how to build this thing. He builds it. The arts, the, the, the craftsmen came in, built it as it was built. Then God communicates to them through it. When the cloud was there, you stay. When the cloud is lifted, you go. Now, I, I think that's kind of interesting because in the wilderness, by the way, if you've ever been out in Idaho desert at night, even in the summertime, it can get quite chilly. So the the cloud of fire was a kind of, the pillar of fire was kind of a nice thing to keep people warm at night. And we also remember that cloud and that fire is what led the children of Israel. So when it would lift from the sanctuary, it would go over and direct the people where to go. Now, staying cool in the shade. You see, that cloud shielded them from the hot summer sun. Hot winter sun. Well, I mean, they're in the Middle East there, it's, it's pretty warm year-round. But at night, it gets cold. And so that shade kept them where God wanted them to go. And then at night, God kept them warm by the pillar of fire. Now, what is amazing to me 
is if you go to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, the Bible says something like cloven tongues of fire appeared above their head. Isn't that amazing? Here we find in the tabernacle of meeting where God would dwell with his people, there was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and then God says, I will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. All the things that are in heaven, all the things that are on earth that God has made, yet God will not dwell in buildings. He'll dwell in you. Then in Acts chapter 2, you find God with that fire above their head. The same thing. You see, God takes great pleasure living in you. But I know a lot of times we might say, well, God, why would you want to live with me? I'm a scuzzbag. You know what? In ourselves, we are. There's nothing holy about us. I always think it's interesting. I see people sometimes thinking they're more spiritual than you are. Well, that just shows you they haven't read the Bible. We're all bozos on this bus. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. What does that mean? That means there's nobody better than you. The only difference is, is whether you have asked Christ to come and live inside of you or not. Now, in the Old Testament, all the way through, you'll find verses that said, and God was with his people. God walked among his people. Uh, All the way through, you'll find that. It's only in the New Testament where you find God dwells in you. Friends, there's a big difference. God dwells in you. That's why I believe Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and we find the other letters written not only by Paul, but by Peter, the rest of them, compelling us to have a sanctuary very much like what was designed here that we're reading about in Exodus, worthy of a place for our God to dwell. Friends, that requires simply God to come in and clean house. Now, I know cleaning house is kind of a miserable thing. I'm a collector. You know I am. I don't know what I need it for, but I'm sure I'll figure something out. Here's the point. God, when he comes into our life, we've collected a lot of junk over the period of life in our minds, our hearts, our souls, and friends, maybe even in your body that needs to be cleaned out. And I believe that when we become born again, I believe God begins that wonderful restorative process in our life where God out with the old, in with the new, out with the ways of the Egyptians and their laws, the things they lived by, the value system they had, out with that. And God then brings in to us his laws, and his purpose, and his design. Friends, it is not mixable. Jesus said you can't have two masters. Why does he say that? Because one will attract your attention, the other you'll find waning. Now, again, when we look at the world, the things that are in it, the Bible says are perishing. When we look at the condition of our world, listen, again, Revelation the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the prophetic books in the Bible are not written to scare you as a Christian. 
They're written in there so you can discern the time that you're in. Now that isn't so we throw up our hands and sat on a mountain waiting for the Lord to come back as some people did back in the 60s and subsequent times before. But rather that we would be able to discern that the night is coming, work while you can when no one can work. I have never seen more horrific dissemination of information through the American news media that I've ever seen before in my life. They cannot tell the truth, will not tell the truth, because there's an agenda at hand. The baby formula. You heard about that one? No baby formula. So one of the, one of the people in the government decided to go find out about this. They went down, and here along the border are warehouses full of baby formula, not for American citizens, but from people coming across the border. That's what caused it. And the government shut down the baby formula-making factory. Instead of saying, hey, we need to get this fixed right away, let's get it back in production. It's a genuine manufactured shortage. Yet the American news media won't tell you the truth. Why? Because there's an agenda, friend. The night is coming when no one can work. You see, you see your country. Do you realize, a lot of things people don't realize what's happening to America. Now, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm trying to tell you the darkness is coming and you better get understanding. Consider, we have 9,000, 9,000 people coming across the border every day in our country. Last month, it was 200, I think it was 248,000, a quarter of a million people last month alone. The month before that, 210,000 people. So far this year, there's been over a million people. You want to know why your housing is going crazy? All these people need food. All these people need some place to live. They're overwhelming the system to break it down. See, America doesn't work. We need a new communist one world order. Friends, the night is coming when no one can work. You have to understand, redeem the time, the Bible says, because the days are evil. And I've just touched on just a, a couple of news stories that right now, it is so much bigger than that. Where everything that is evil is good and everything that's good is evil. If you're against transgender being taught in the schools, if you feel like a girl today, then you're a girl. If you feel like a boy today, you're a boy. That all being taught in our schools. If you say that's wrong, you're evil. No, you're good. That idea is evil. But we live in a fallen world. And we're so, we're so orientated on being non-offensive that we don't really even teach the gospel anymore. You see, if, if, if people, if you really love people, you tell people the truth. 
Moms and dads, this is one of the great problems. Well, you know, I don't want to offend my teenager. I don't want to offend my, you know, my my son or daughter that is 20. They just got married. I want to offend them and tell them what's really going on. Hey, it's better that they're angry with you because you told them the truth than to not tell them and let them slip into oblivion. But you see, the problem is, is that we have become soft in our understanding. That's why the Bible says to earnestly contend for the gospel. Do you know contend has an implication of some kind of conflict? And that means you have to stand for what? But I don't want to offend anybody because I want to be liked by everybody because nobody doesn't want to be liked. Hey, listen, nobody liked Jesus either. When you stop to think about the Apostle Paul, think think about this guy. Wrote probably you know, a third of the New Testament. Giving direction, maybe, maybe not much, probably probably a quarter. And, and you look at him, and, 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 and the influence that he had in the church, listen, almost everybody in the known world at that time knew who Paul was. They just did. They knew who he was. And yet we find in the book of 2 Timothy, he said this, he said, I'm ready to be delivered. He's, he knew he was, this time he wasn't going to get out. There wasn't an angel going to come spring him out of prison or anything. He knew the time had come for him to leave this world. And he said, only Luke is with me. Now you think how many people this guy led to the Lord, how many churches he had started through Asia Minor, all the things that he did, and he dies alone. Now I'll tell you, friends, it wasn't that that the streets were lined, as oftentimes they would do when a criminal was to be executed. Going, Paul, great brother, go, you're going to make it, man. God's got a reward for you in heaven. Yeah, you know what? He dies alone. Historians tell us that Paul, when his time come to be executed, ran up the hill to have his head cut off. I think he was done. Now, you stop to think about that for a minute. What am I going through that's so bad that I can't once again realign and recognize God in me, the hope of glory. God in you, Paul says, the hope of glory. God put himself in you, not around you, but in you. Wow. Okay, God, back your dump truck up. Let's clean house. And there's a lot of stuff that we hang on to in case I have a bad day. God says, pitch it out. Out with the Egyptian ways, in with my ways. You see, the children of Israel were going to live under a new set of guidance. Not the way they did in Egypt, but now a new way. And not only did they have the laws of Moses, but they had the point of meeting of Moses. We talked about that last week, the woman with the issue of blood. And if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. 
She touched it. Jesus said, who touched me? His disciples said, everybody's touching you. You're in a little narrow street in the streets of Jerusalem and everybody's pressing on you. What do you mean, who touched me? But Jesus was speaking about a different kind of touch. He felt that power go into that woman to heal her. And the woman came, probably scared to death. And again, we talked about this. Why didn't she meet him face to face? Maybe she just felt like nobody wanted her. Maybe she just felt really ugly. Having an issue of blood, according to the Levitical law, she wasn't allowed to be around anybody. She couldn't even make the food at home for the kids. She'd be called unclean. Maybe after 12 years of being treated that way, she finally just said, if I can just touch his garment. And she touched it and got busted. Jesus said, who touched me? Oh, man. And so we remember then, he looked at her and said, your faith has made you well. And we talked about that point of contact where it was, a, was there anything magic about the hem of Jesus' garment? No. But what was in the garment was God. What's in you is God, the hope of glory. Friends, God has given you not only salvation, eternal life, that's wonderful, but a great gift in that he is living in you to empower you and to give to you not only and usable gifts that he's given you, but supernatural gifts that he will yet continue to give you as you're about his business. As we look at this, it says that God guided them through all of their journeys. When God is in you, see, he, he's not going to dwell in buildings, the Bible says. Yeah, there was a tabernacle, it was a point of meeting, but no longer he would dwell with them in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he dwells in you. Why? Because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. You're clean, Jesus said, through the word which I have spoken unto you. That's who you are. Don't ever let the devil tell you anything else. That's who you are. And when we remember that, all things are possible to be about your daddy's business. God's good. And God's merciful. And God's loving. And God's kind. And the devil will spend his eternal existence on you, with you on this planet trying to convince you of something else. God doesn't really love you. If God loved you, that wouldn't have happened. If God really loved you, this would have happened and not that would have happened. And we go, yeah, that's right. I don't think God's real. I mean, that's the way we are. And it doesn't seem to matter how many times God has delivered us from the problems in our life. We have lapses of faith almost instantly when we are faced with a problem. Don't feel bad. That's the way people were in the Bible. But that's a failure of your old sin nature. Now, remember, we have to arm ourselves. Helmet of salvation, Paul says. Why is that? You need to protect your mind. Your mind is the devil's playground if you don't keep it focused on God. And you can begin to believe the lies of the devil. Hey, look, we're soldiers, okay? The Bible says that. We've done as we were told to do. Yes, we're loved as the bride of Christ, but we're also soldiers. 
And a soldier doesn't go, well, I don't think I want to do that. Well, you'll get a court martial. You want to be about your daddy's business. God in you, new, from God with you, old. One exterior, now interior. Once just the blood of bulls and goats that would prevent God from living within us. Now we are clean through the word, Jesus said, which I have spoken unto you in John 14. So being about daddy's business this morning, if you're not a Christian, you're living under Egypt, under a goofy set of rules. And you'll die in those sins. The Bible says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Bible says, if we'll accept him as Savior, he will come into us, fellowship with us forever. Friends, that's a good deal. Never alone again. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I would like to invite you to accept Christ as your Savior. He died on the cross for you. Something that all your good works, all your clever ideas, all your backdoor deals will never get you. Jesus died on the cross for you to forgive you of your sins and then come and live inside of you. Friends, that's great. To empower you, just as we just read. All the artisans came filled with, with, with God-given talent. God wants to give you a gift himself. And how that is manifested, friends, is different in every one of our lives. That's why I can never, as a Christian, look at what God's doing in that person over there and say, well, why don't you do that with me? God's got, I got something a whole lot better I want to do in you. No one's ever been like you on this earth ever before. No one will ever be like you on this earth ever again. You are unique to God. And he wants to live inside of you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray right now. And you could ask the Lord in your life. So if you want to pray, you're sick of the way you've lived, you don't want another 10 years like you just had or five years, then pray and let's see what God will do. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. And Jesus came back to life and give me life, God. Come live inside of me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to love and to have boldness in these days. And so, Lord, from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. Thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.